How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean By providence impoverished and squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar The ten dollar, founding father without a father Got a lot farther by working a lot harder By being a lot smarter, by being a self-starter By fourteen They placed him in charge of a trading charter. And every day while slaves were being slaughtered and carted away, across the waves he struggled and kept his guard up. Inside he was longing for something to be a part of. The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, or barter. Then a hurricane came and devastation reigned. Our man saw his future drip, dripping down the train. Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain. And he wrote his first refrain, a testament to his pain. The word got around and said this kid is insane, man Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland Get your education, don't forget from whence you came And the world's gonna know your name What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton My name is Alexander Hamilton And there's a million things Welcome back to Mr. Cornwell's Corner This week, we are going to be discussing the birth of political parties in the United States, which, of course, must include uh, Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton. So I'm super excited to share this information with you today. And if you like what you hear, be sure to smash that like button and hit that notification bell so you won't miss any episodes as they drop. So when you're looking at the political parties, if you remember, the Constitution was ratified June 21st, 1788, okay? And Washington was sworn in as the first president on April 30th, 1789. So the 1790s was the first decade where the Constitution ruled the government. And they were kind of making this stuff up as they go. If you remember, political parties actually go back before the Constitution. Those that supported the Constitution were known as Federalists. Those that did not want that Constitution were known as Anti-Federalists. Okay? So Hamilton becomes one of the leading Federalists, and Jefferson becomes one of the leading Anti-Federalists. In the 1790s, the Anti-Federalists began calling themselves Democratic Republicans. So from this point forward, I'm going to refer to the Anti-Federalists as Democratic Republicans. So um, what's really important for Washington is Jefferson and Hamilton were two men that Washington admired greatly for their intelligence, their commitment, their beliefs. And he liked both of them like like a son. And he picks Jefferson to be his first Secretary of State. And if you remember, the State Department deals with foreign affairs. And he picks Hamilton to be the Secretary of Treasury, the very first one. And Treasury deals with finances. So these two, in Washington's first cabinet, you really had four guys that he consulted on a regular basis. Hamilton, Jefferson, Henry Knox, who was Washington's artillery captain and now Secretary of War, which today is called Secretary of Defense. And then the Attorney General, who he consulted regularly, was Edmund Randolph of Virginia. If you notice, the vice president is not really in Washington's cabinet. Today, the vice president is included in the cabinet, but John, John Adams was Washington's vice president for all eight years. 
and it's not like he didn't like Adams. He just didn't know Adams well and didn't trust him. And the way he ran his government was like he ran his army. He consulted those men that he knew well and trusted, and he simply just didn't include Adams in that. So Jefferson and Hamilton really become the two leaders of Washington's cabinet. And what they're both trying to do is get their input on Washington um, so that he can institute government as they see fit. So basically, they're like two children competing for dad's attention, and whoever wins out will get the most of their beliefs into the new government. Does that make sense? So um, there's a reason why Washington come back for a third term. Um, At first, Jefferson and Hamilton are like political differences, and then as they work together in Philadelphia during the 1790s under Washington, they grow to be personal differences. They grow to hate each other. So eventually, during Washington's second term, Jefferson resigns and goes back to Monticello in Virginia, his house. And Hamilton also resigns and goes back to New York where he lives. So Washington's second term is miserable for him personally. And it's really the reason he doesn't come back for a third term. So to really understand political parties, what we're going to do today, we're going to do a quick bio of each person, Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton. And then the last segment, we'll talk about um, the policies and who won out basically with Washington's affection. So before we get into the bio, um, we're going to start with Jefferson first. Let's play a little bit of intro music some from the play Hamilton. What you were listening to, the intro was called Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton's title of that song. But for this one, we're going to play My Shot. Enjoy. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm gonna get a scholarship to King's College. I probably shouldn't brag, but dad got amazed and astonished. The problem is I got a lot of brains, but no polish. I gotta holler just to be heard with every word. I drop knowledge. I'm a diamond in the rough. A shiny piece of coal Trying to reach my goal My power of speech Unimpeachable Only 19 But my mind is older These New York City streets Get colder I shoulder Every burden Every disadvantage I've learned to manage I don't have a gun to brandish I walk these streets Famished The plan is To fan this Walk into a flame But damn it's getting dark So let me spell out the name I am the A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R We are meant to be A colony that runs independent Alright, welcome back Hope you enjoyed that clip from Hamilton's musical called My Shot. So let's go ahead and take a quick bio of Thomas Jefferson. Um, At this point, you already know a little bit about Jefferson. You should know he's the author of the Declaration of Independence, okay? And now you know he's the first Secretary of State in the United States and later goes on to be the third President of the United States. And he also is the President who buys Louisiana Purchase, which is about a third of the continent. So, so Jefferson's one of the founding fathers, and he's very important in U.S. history. But let's go back to his birth. Um, Thomas Jefferson was born in Virginia to an aristocratic or upper-class family. He was born into wealth. Uh, he was born in a place called Shadwell, and his father was Peter Jefferson, and his mother was Jane Randolph. So he comes from a wealthy family. Jefferson would later say in life, life that his first memories of life that he can actually remember was a carriage ride when he was just a little boy, and he was riding on the lap of his personal slave. So the Jefferson family owned slaves. He was born into slavery. Thomas Jefferson owned slaves all of his life. 
he inherits slaves from his from his father when he passes away and his mother when she passes away and um and he lives at Shadwell and later on the same property he builds a house that he calls Monticello Monticello is Italian Mont means mountain and cello means small so literally he built his house on top of a small mountain which uh, Monticello is beautiful if you ever get a chance to go visit it it's um, if you fly into Charlottesville Virginia it's about a 15-20 minute ride outside of Charlottesville Virginia that's where he lived so so Jefferson was born into wealth he he had a proper education his mom started his education and then when he was older he had a tutor and then he enters the College of William and Mary at the age of 16 years old. Uh, College of William and Mary is in Virginia. It was very prestigious. It's the second oldest university in the United States today, only behind Harvard. So Jefferson enters there um, at 16. He studies many things. Um, Jefferson could speak seven languages. He knew his classics. He's mathematics. He was very well-rounded when it comes to education, but he actually gets his degree in law. So Jefferson is a trained lawyer by trade. Okay, So um, Jefferson grows up in wealth, with privilege, owns slaves, and is a trained lawyer. So that, that's Jefferson's quick background. So this next interlude, I would like to play a short clip from Hamilton's music. This one is titled Aaron Burr, Sir. Enjoy. Sir? That depends. Who's asking? Oh, sure. Sir, I'm Alexander Hamilton. I'm at your service, sir. I have been looking for you. I'm getting nervous. Sir, I heard your name at Princeton. I was seeking an accelerated course of study. When I got sort of out of sorts with a buddy of yours, I may have punched him. It's a blur, sir. He handles the financials. You punched the burr, sir. Yes, I wanted to do what you did Graduating too and join the revolution He looked at me like I was stupid I'm not stupid So how'd you do it? How'd you graduate so fast? It was my parents' dying wish before they passed You're an orphan Of course, I'm an orphan God, I wish there was a war Then we could prove that we're worth more than anyone bargained for Can I buy you a drink? That would be nice While we're talking, let me offer you some free advice Talk less What? Smile more Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for You can't be serious You wanna get ahead Yes Fools who run their mouths off wind up dead What time is it? Showtime Like I said Showtime, showtime, yo I'm John Lawrence in the place to be A two-pints of Sam Alright, welcome back of course, the great irony of that song, Aaron Burr, talks about those that run their mouth wind up dead as Aaron Burr kills Alexander Hamilton in 1804 in Weehawken, New Jersey, in a duel. So that's the great irony there. So Jefferson, we already talked about his background, comes from wealth. Let's look at Alexander Hamilton. Um, Hamilton was born in the Caribbean. He was born on a small island known as Nevis, which was part of the British West Indies at the time. His father, James Hamilton Sr., was a Scottish trader. Like, he owned a boat. He's from Scotland. And he was in the Caribbean trading, making money, ship. 
His mother, Rachel Fawcett, um, depending on what biography you read, she was either a lady with low morals or a prostitute even, maybe, depending on which one you read. Um, when Hamilton was born, his mother was married to another man, but they weren't living together. So Hamilton and his older brother, James Jr., was born out of wedlock into poverty in Nevis. And when he was a little boy, his dad went to work one day and never came back. He deserted them. So his mother moves him from Nevis to St. Croix for a job, for financial opportunity. And when Alexander Hamilton's about 11 years old, his mother passes away from disease. So Hamilton and his older brother, who's just a couple years older, are orphaned as young boys. Um, He is taken in by a cousin, and then the next year that cousin commits suicide. So Hamilton has a pretty poor upbringing, pretty tragic upbringing. Um, It's at St. Croix where he's just an early teenager, and he gets a job, some local businessman who own a shipping company, the largest one in St. Croix, kind of feel sorry for him. So they gave him a job to help out with the business, kind of take him in, if you will. And what they realize is this young boy is brilliant. Like within months, for about five months, the owners of the business are taking vacations on other islands and Hamilton's running the entire business by himself at like 14 years old. And the business is making a lot of money. They realize he's a financial boy genius. So those are the guys that sponsor him. They send him to the colonies to get a further education. They basically think he's too brilliant for the Caribbean. So to recap, Jefferson was born into wealth, owned slaves, overspent but was wealthy all his life. Hamilton was born out of wedlock, or as John Adams said, the bastard son of a Scottish peddler. He was born into poverty. He had a tragic childhood. But he showed brilliance or genius, and that's why he winds up in the colonies. So when Hamilton comes to the colonies, he goes to a place called King's College, which is in New York. Today it's Columbia University, an Ivy League school, and that's where Hamilton is. He's a student there studying law when the war breaks out, and he leaves college as a young man. He's a late teenager and to enlist, and he winds up catching a huge break, Hamilton does is he gets put on Washington's staff early on, and George Washington notices his genius and takes a liking to him. And for the rest of his life, uh, Washington protects Hamilton. Hamilton was shot and killed five years after Washington died. There's no way anybody's going to challenge Hamilton to a duel and shoot and kill him as long as George Washington's alive. That just won't happen. So, so you got a quick background of both of these leading figures. Both of them become trusted by Washington in the 1790s. If you think today's political division is bad, you don't know anything about the 1790s. It was very divisive and very personal. All right, so um, for this interlude, we'll take a short break, and we'll play Guns and Ships from the magical play of Hamilton. Hamilton. 
How does a ragtag volunteer army in need of a shower somehow defeat a global superpower? How do we emerge victorious from the quagmire? Leave the battlefield waving Betsy Ross's flag higher? Yo, turns out we have a secret weapon, an immigrant. You know and love who's unafraid to step in. He's constantly confusing, confounding the British henchmen. Everyone give it up for America's favorite fighting Frenchman! I'm picking this horse, man, rain, making red coats, weather with blood stains. Feel like never gonna stop until I make a drop of random up and scatter the remains. Watch me engaging them, escaping them, and raising them out. I go to France for more fun. I come back with more guns. And ships, and so their balance shifts. We rendezvous with Rochambeau, consolidate their gifts. We can end this war in Yorktown, cut them off at sea, but for this to succeed, there's someone else we need. I know. So he knows what to do in the trench ingenuity. All right, welcome back for the last segment of today's podcast on the birth of political parties in the United States. So you've got a background of Hamilton, a background of Jefferson. They know of each other, but during the war, Jefferson was a congressman, and Hamilton served with Washington's army. So they know of each other, but they've never really spent any time together. Once Washington picks Jefferson to be a secretary of state, Hamilton being the secretary of treasurer, that's the first time they work hand-to-hand and really get to know each other, and it does not go well. So what leads to the personal hatred between the two is starts as political differences. So let's talk, talk about some of the issues of the day. Okay, Um, these are the key issues of the 1790s, and I want you to, while I'm discussing these, think about Hamilton's views on the issues and Jefferson's views on the issues and compare and contrast those views. So one of the big issues of the day was the National Bank. Um, The Constitution does not say the National Bank is anywhere, and there's no National Bank mentioned in the Constitution. So Hamilton believes, because the Constitution does not mention it, the federal government can create the National Bank. That's called a loose interpretation of the Constitution. Basically, Hamilton looks at the Constitution as guidelines, and if it's not mentioned in there, then the federal government can do it, hence loose. Jefferson looks at the National Bank. It's not in there. It doesn't mention anywhere in the Constitution, seven articles, that the federal government can create a National Bank, so therefore Jefferson says they don't have the right to do that, that banks can only be created by states because um, if you look at Amendment Number 10, the Bill of Rights, it says all powers not delegated here go to the states or the people. So Jefferson believes that the states have a right to a bank, but not the national government. Um, so that's one of the major issues of the 1790s is finance. And Jefferson believes in no national bank. Hamilton believes in a nas- creating a national bank, or it's known as the Bank of the United States or the first bus. All right. Well, let's look at power. Um, Hamilton believes that the federal government should be supreme over the state governments, that the federal government should have more power. If there's a conflict, the federal government should win out, and the federal government needs more power in the states to effectively govern. Jefferson believes he's really one of the first early states' rights guys. He believes that the states should be sovereign or more powerful than the central government, that when it comes to like defense and a few issues, the national government should win out, but overall, like dealing with civilians, dealing with citizens in their lives, the state government should be supreme. Okay? So when it comes to power, Hamilton believes in the federal government power, which is why they called him King Alex behind his back. Jefferson believes in states' rights. When it comes to education, 
Now, keep in mind, education in the 1790s looks nothing like it does today. There is no public schools. Uh, you're educated at home if you could afford it, a tutor, and if you could afford it, you go to college. If you couldn't afford it, you were just educated by your parents if they could read and write, and that's it. Okay. So what, what Hamilton believes, here's Hamilton's views on how the United States should educate, educate its citizenry, all of its citizens. Hamilton believes that everybody should be offered an education early on in life, and that early on in life, you should identify the brightest minds, the best students. Those students should go on and be educated fully, while everybody else, what he calls the rabble, the people who do not show academic intelligence, should not, instead of wasting your money educating them, they should go get a job. So Hamilton would be for educating the elites to run government, and the masses, or the rabbles he called them, don't really need an education. Just live your life and work your job, and, and everything will be fine. Uh, Jefferson's beliefs on education. Jefferson believes that if you're going to have a true democracy, which means ruled by the people, then you have to have enlightened people. So Jefferson would be for offering everybody an education, educating all the citizens, not just the elite. So on education, you can see their views are different. When it comes to the economy itself, uh, Hamilton believes the United States should become the leading industrial nation in the world. Uh, manufacturing, what we're talking about, and shipping. Hamilton, um, Jefferson, Jefferson believes the United States should be a nation of yeoman farmers. What that means, yeoman farmers, means small farms. Like, we should be a nation of small farmers. So, so Hamilton believes the United States should have an industrial economy. Jefferson believes the United States should have an agrarian or agricultural economy. Okay? When it comes to trade... Hamilton believes our biggest and best trade partner ought to be Great Britain. We were a colony of Great Britain for centuries. We're used to trade with them. It works, makes a lot of money. Jefferson believes that our biggest trading partner going forward should be the French. They helped us out during the war. It's only natural to continue to help them out by trade. So as you can see, on all the key issues of the day, the National Bank of the financial system, power, who really holds the power, Education, economy, trade, all those, if you've been following along, Jefferson and Hamilton are polar opposites. Now, keep in mind, whichever one can get Washington to agree with their side is going to win out here. So you've got Hamilton and Jefferson who first believe in political differences, but then it gets ugly. And by Washington's second term, they can't stand each other. Both of them leave Washington. Washington feels completely deserted, stabbed in the back by two of his most trusted people in government, and there's no way Washington's coming back for a third term. Okay, So I hope you enjoyed this little quick bio on the birth of political parties. And um, keep in mind, Hamilton becomes the leading Federalist. Jefferson becomes the leading Democratic Republicans. All right? So I'll leave you with the title song from the play Hamilton, and it is Alexander Hamilton. We'll see you next time on Mr. Cornwell's Corner. How does a bastard 
orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence, impoverished and squalor, grow up to be a hero and a scholar. The ten dollar, founding father without a father, got a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a self-starter by 14. They placed him in charge of a trading charter. And every day while slaves were being slaughtered and carted away Across the waves he struggled and kept his guard up Inside he was longing for something to be a part of The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, or barter Then a hurricane came and devastation reigned Our man saw his future drip, dripping down the drain Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain And he wrote his first refrain, a testament to his pain the word got around and said this kid is insane, man. Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland. Get your education, don't forget from whence you came. And the world's gonna know your name. What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. And there's a million things I haven't done. But just you wait, just you Ten, his father split, full of it, debt ridden Two years later, see Alex and his mother bedridden Half dead, sitting in their own sick, the scent thick And Alex got better, but his mother went quick Moving with a cousin, the cousin committed suicide Left him with nothing but ruined pride Something new inside a voice saying Alex, you gotta fend for yourself He started retreating and reading every treatise on the shelf left to do for someone less astute he would have been dead and destitute without a cent or restitution started working, working for his late mother's landlord trading sugar cane and rum and all the things he can't afford, scared for every book he can get his hands on, planning for the future see him now as he stands on the bow of a ship, headed for a new land, in New York you can be a new man, New York you can just do